in that portion with our thrice holy God. It's great that we reflect upon his, his character, remember who he is. You know, um, if we don't understand the purpose of something, then its meaning and value and usefulness will escape us. Certain surgical tools may be beyond our understanding, and their, their purpose escapes us, and they might be useless or dangerous in our hands. But in the hands of a skilled surgeon who knows what they are and what their purpose is, they're, they're very useful. To really appreciate the value and usefulness of something, then we need to understand something of its purpose. To understand the uh, usefulness of God's law, we need to understand its purpose. Uh, what was God's purpose in giving us his law? What was he communicating to us? Um, what the, did he intend the law to do or to be? And how does that purpose affect us today? And especially as we get ready to uh, launch into a study of, through the book of Romans, how would those early believers have understood Paul's reference to the law. Remember that the majority of them had come freshly out of Judaism, had been steeped in the law. And so when he talks about law, how would they view it, especially in light of now the new covenant and Christianity? To help us understand how they would have seen it, those early Christians and how we can understand the purpose of the law and its rightful application, um, we need to do a little investigation. And today I hope to show you four uh, purposes of the law. Uh, first of all, the law represents a moral code. God did not just assume that man would, would know and choose to do right. In fact, God assumes just the opposite about us, right? He, he knows that we are inclined to sin. We are bent on sin. Uh, we ha have a natural inclination for it. We are uh, born sinners and we choose to sin. Uh, as Ezekiel said, I mean, Jeremiah says, God knows our hearts that they are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Well, if your heart is deceitful above all things, then how much can you trust it? See, far from just following your heart, um, you need to examine it and have God examine it. it um, our bent is towards sin. So one purpose of the law uh, then is to establish a moral code to set boundaries for what is approved behavior and what is unacceptable, unapproved behavior, for what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, to set those boundaries, guidelines, so there's understanding of this. If you would start with Galatians 3.19, we're going to start and end with this passage today. 
So we'll just look at it a little bit at the beginning. <clears throat> Galatians 3.19. This verse asks and answers for us a very crucial question. What purpose then does the law serve? Why then the law? Why did God give the law? What purpose does it serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It will help us to back up just a few verses to see what Paul is saying here. Um, Back to verse 16 of the same chapter. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. Now see, the promise given to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and then uh, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15 was by faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him by faith and God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham. I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to be your God and that, that promise was made, as Paul points out, 430 years before the Mosaic law was given. So it preceded it that far. It was not tied to the Mosaic covenant. It was way before it. So it had no connection to it, was not reliant on it. And so, verse 17, and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before, meaning 430 years earlier, by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. Verse 18, for if the inheritance promised to Abraham, his, if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what we have fulfilled for us did not come by law, but came by the promise through Abraham, through the particular seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Verse 19, well then, why the law? What purpose then does the law serve? If, if we don't get the spiritual benefit of the promise through it, what purpose then is the law? It was added because of transgressions because of because man was sinful the law was added the law wasn't added as some kind of means to make us righteous or to if we could just keep all the law we could be righteous because none of us can do that so that was not the purpose of the law it was because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was made so we have here this, this series of the, the giving of the promise to Abraham and then the giving of the law to Moses 
and then the fulfillment of the law in Christ. And so the giving of the law is connected to the fulfillment of the law, and in between you have, I mean, the giving of the promise is connected to the fulfillment of the promise. In between you have law reigned. Why? Because of sin. Because of the presence of sin in the world, there had to be laws to to guide and control and set boundaries and, and tell people what was right and not right. Now, God's eternal purpose from beginning to end is that we would relate to him by love and not by law. 10 million years from now, when we will be, have been in glory that long, we will, we will have known our relationship to God through Christ to be through love, through love, through love. Every moment of every one of those 10 million years and we would have just begun eternity. And that's God's purpose for us even now to relate to him in that way, not through law. That's why the first and greatest commandment is to to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Let me give you an example that's uh, it's an everyday way of you could maybe relate to this. Um, when parents have a new baby, new child comes into the family, and that child is so precious, isn't Marin? She is now because she's sleeping. <laughs> um, and and especially you lay them in their, their crib and they sleep and they look so sweet. They're little angels until they wake up at three o'clock in the morning. But those cute little babies grow to start exercising self-will. It doesn't take very long either, does it? Where I want to eat now! And, and that self-will grows and grows and becomes a problem through time. And the parent who loves the child and wants to relate to the child in love, wants to have a loving relationship, both ways a loving relationship, and that's good and right, and everybody thinks that way. That's how it ought to be, right? A loving relationship. But because of transgressions, misbehavior, sin, laws are established. No, you cannot set your little sister on fire. <laughs> it's against the house rules. Okay? There, we set boundaries, uh, we set laws because of our propensity to sin. And our, we know that's going to happen with our kids, and so they need some boundaries, guidelines, a moral code. This far, no farther. Watch this much TV, no more. Stay up this late, no longer. Uh, Whatever. So we set boundaries. That's how God relates to us. The, the intention of God for eternity is to always relate to us with love. That's the original purpose. That is how we will relate to him in eternity to come and how we ought to be relating to him now. But the law was given because of transgressions. Um, Look at 1 Timothy.
Because it's, it's, it's out. Out? Now it's on. Hmm. The light's still out. Hello. I'm going to be off and on here. Okay, 1 Timothy 1, 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Find me here. Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Jason. We're no longer under law. But that doesn't mean that the law has no purpose at all. In fact, Paul says the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So there must be some kind of a lawful good use of it. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So the law was added... Because of transgressions, and mankind does not cease to transgress. So the law is still in effect for unbelievers. They are still under that law, and this is what they're accountable to. But even for us as believers, it gives a moral code, a guideline, an understanding of this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. Um. Secondly, the, ma- the law directs towards righteousness. The law of God is not just a list of do's and don'ts. The law also establishes what righteous behavior looks like before God. It directs us toward righteousness. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse uh, 16 and 17. Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. <clears throat> all scripture, and that of course includes the Old Testament, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So it tells us what truth is, doctrine teaching, reproof for when we go the wrong way, correction for how to get back on the right way, and instruction in righteousness to keep on the right way. The, the law, all scripture, including the law, it teaches us about righteousness, directs us towards righteousness. Now, just to look briefly at a few verses from Psalm 119, which is all about the Word of God, Psalm 119, and we'll start at verse 137.
Psalm 119, 137. Notice the connection of righteousness and the law here in, in this paragraph. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. See, the righteousness of God's testimonies lasts forever. God does not have a lower moral standard or, or code of righteousness now that we are believers than he did before. If anything, it's higher. His righteousness and his standard of righteousness is eternal. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 171 and 172 says, My lips shall utter praise for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Verse 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant that I do not forget your commandments. He seeks, as says, the great shepherd, and he as Psalm 23 says, he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so his law directs us towards righteousness. Now, it's important that we understand a distinction here, though. And that is the law directs us toward righteousness, but it can never produce righteousness. It's an important distinction. The law directs us toward righteousness, but it can never produce righteousness. Just like a sign along the highway can direct you toward a city, but the sign is not the city. Just because you see the sign doesn't mean you've arrived. The law directs us towards righteousness, but it does not produce righteousness. Let's go to Psalm 40. Starting at verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. How great is the grace of God to us and his provision for us. We cannot even begin to count how good God has been to us, how many blessings he has bestowed upon us, his wonderful works which he has done. Verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you do not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. 
Now this uh, section of, from verse uh, 6 through 8 is repeated in Hebrews chapter 10 of a direct prophecy of Jesus Christ who came as the, the sacrifice, who came to give himself uh, and um, behold in the scroll of your book it is written of me I delight to do your will and your law is within my heart. And we jump here from what, what David is saying of, uh, in this understanding of the law to see in Christ its fulfillment that he is the one who fulfilled the law. We'll see that next week in the fulfilling of the law. But uh, as we are in him, we delight to do God's will and his law is written within our hearts as we saw earlier from Jeremiah 31, an earlier message. Um, and so it's no longer an external code to which we, we have to give allegiance. Like it's someone wrote these standards and we just have to live up to them whether we like it or not. And most often we would not like it. But this is something that's inside, written inside of us. This is a, the law of God in our hearts. David says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Now, I am, I'm not likely to come over to your house and do dishes for you. Sorry. If you made brownies, I might clean that up for you. But I'm just not likely to come over to your house and do dishes. But I delight to do dishes for Sherry. I like to do it. Um, it's my delight to do dishes for Sherry, not because I like doing dishes. Why do I delight to do dishes for Sherry? Because I delight in her. Because I delight in her, I delight in doing something that pleases her. That's what the psalmist is saying here. I delight to do your will. Oh my God. Why? Because your law is written in my heart. It's not, it's not something external to me, forced upon me, but it's something from the heart that I want to do. If it is a direction towards righteousness, something that pleases our God. So then, the law presents to us a moral code and directs us towards righteousness. Third, the law also teaches us some important spiritual lessons about man and about God. First of all, what we learn from the law about man is that man is the lawbreaker. Uh, the law shines the light of God's truth on the darkness of man and exposes man for the, the sinner that he is. The law mirrors to man his depravity and his, his ruin and his hopeless condition. That's why John 3 says that man loves darkness rather than light because his deeds are evil. So the natural condition of man is not that he is good and that he's looking for God, but the natural condition of man is that he is depraved and he is running from God. And that's what we learn about the law from the word as, as far as uh, man but I want to spend most of our time talking about what it says about God. God is the lawgiver. And 
just to look at a sample passage back in the book of Leviticus. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. The third book, the Old Testament, Leviticus, start, starting at chapter 11. Leviticus, chapter 11, starting at verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. There are four things that God says about himself in the giving of the law here. God, because he is God, first of all, has the right to give the law. I am the Lord your God. God here continually reminds them, I am the Lord your God. Um, the higher the authority, the more right they have to give laws and the more obedience we have due to them. God is, of course, the supreme uh, being of all, and uh, he is the lawgiver as God. Secondly, because God is deliverer. First part of verse 45, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt. He is the one who delivered them they belong to him. He has the right to give the law. He is God. He is the deliverer. Third, God is perfect. And he requires not just relative obedience, but complete obedience. That is, God doesn't just say, try to, try to steal a little bit less. But no stealing, no lying, no murder. He demands complete obedience. Uh, we see that a little bit clearer here in the context of uh, verse 44. If we back up just a, a few verses to verse 41, we see what he's talking about. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an ab abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth these you shall not eat for they are an abomination you shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them lest you be defiled by them now this is part of the uh, their dietary code according to the law and now that might sound like a small thing. I mean, talking about little bugs and creeping things that creep on the earth. And it's not like I need God to tell me, don't eat one of those. You know, I'm, I wasn't going to anyways. But uh, he, he gives even this little detail, this small thing. And, and here's why. Why is this so important? For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart. Don't act like an animal. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creature.
creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Even in the, the small things, God is interested, God is important, God needs to be obeyed. He is the Lord our God. And fourth, because God is holy. He says that in ver both verses, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 45, For I am the Lord who brings you out of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God is our God. He is our deliverer. He is perfect. He is holy. Just a couple of other examples to show how these four themes are repeated. Uh, Leviticus 19, verses uh, 1 through 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make yourselves molded gods, for I am the Lord your God. Um, skip down to verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Um, Leviticus 20, starting at verse 6. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Now, a person who, who turns to a medium, that's not as compared to a small or a large. That's not a medium that way. It's a medium it was someone who, who dabbled with spirits and stood between the uh, physical and spiritual world and, and had that kind of a connection. Uh, we call up spirits, necromancers and that sort of things. Wizards and witches like the witch of Endor that uh, Saul got in trouble with for calling back the body of a Samuel. The person who turns to those, um, he says, I'll set my face against that person and cut him, off, cut, cut him off from his people. Verse 7, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And he says both to consecrate yourself, set yourself apart, and I set you apart. Verse 26. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. Uh, just one more, chapter 22, verses uh, 31 through 33. Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. 
And so we see those four themes repeated. I am, I am your God. I'm your deliverer. Um, I am, God is perfect. He's holy. Now, we are not under the same law, but we are under the same God, right? We're not bound to this mosaic law and code and covenant. We're not bound to the same law, but we are under the same God. And these truths about God have not changed because God is unchanging. He is still God. He's still holy. He's still perfect. And He is our deliverer. So we are not under law, but we are raised to a higher standard. So the law provides a moral code. It uh, directs us towards righteousness. It teaches us spiritual lessons. And finally... The law teaches our need for Christ. If you look at Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Romans 3 verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't help you deal with sin, it just exposes sin and that we have a greater need because of it. Galatians chapter 3, where we started, we'll head back there to Galatians 3, 19. We come back to our question at the beginning of Galatians 3, 19, uh, uh, then what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Until Christ should come. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? So how are we to think about the law then? Is it contrary to it, against it? No, the, the law isn't against the promises of God. For if there had been a law given which would have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. If it was possible for us to gain righteousness by keeping the law, then Christ would not have had to come to die for our sin. But it was not possible. Verse 22, the scriptures have confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. So historically, nationally for Israel and individually for everyone, this is true. 
that before faith came, we were kept under the guard of the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. So even like today, some, someone who is not a believer is under the demands of the law. And the law accuses them continually of their sin and shows them their, their guilt until they come to faith. And the, the only way out from under the burden of the law is faith in Christ. Verse 24, Therefore the law was our tutor, our, our schoolmaster, our instructor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, no longer under the law, in other words. Once we have faith, we don't have the demands of the law. That is, we, we are not made righteous by the law. We're not trying to live by the law, but we live by a higher standard than the law. It's not like, okay, the law's been done away, and you can do whatever you want. It is, we're no longer obligated to the law, but we have a higher calling a higher law written in our hearts to be like Christ, to love him with all of our heart, to be yielded to his spirit, to walk in his spirit, as Paul says in Galatians 5, so that you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit so you'll have the fruit of the spirit. And now one final passage is 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13. First Peter 1, 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is fully on grace in Christ, which will be brought to us in the fullest sense and realized when Christ comes. We are enjoying it now. We live by grace, but we'll really understand it then. Uh, we rest our hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ as obedient children. Now, just because we live under grace doesn't mean we can be disobedient, but as obedient children... Not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance before you knew Christ. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Does that sound familiar? Like Leviticus 17 and so forth. See, God hasn't changed. He still calls us to holiness. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. This is what it took for God to wash away our sin. Since he knew that he gave the law because of transgressions, because of our sinfulness, but he knew we could never keep it. And so it took the death of his son, the blood of the lamb slain for us, 
to take care of the problem of sin. For in, he indeed, verse 20, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This is not God's plan B. God knew before he created the world, his son would die. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Years ago, I was driving through the countryside in northern Indiana and came across a, a big barn sitting out in the field and on the side of that barn were painted these words in large letters. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin the cause. Christ the cure. Let's pray. We have our ushers come forward now too for our offering. Lord, we... We owe everything we have and are to you. None of us could have kept the law. And we know that you, you have given it because we are uh, so bent on sinning. And, and we need to have an understanding of what um, your moral code is. But even more important, we need to have the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our in our lives to be our guide. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior to pay for our sin. Lord, we, we pray that we would delight in you, our all in all, that we would trust in you completely, rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the blood of the Lamb, uh, without which there would be no, no salvation from from our sin. Thank you for the fount of, of that blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.